morning, everyone. That uh, that last song was uh, pretty powerful. I'm I'm very moved in the moment, actually, in a good way. We I was part of uh, a graveside service and a memorial that happened yesterday, and and the graveside was on Friday. And the memorial was yesterday for a dear, dear lady in our community up here in Summit Valley who passed away, Paula Markham. And uh, (laughs) Paula, Paula overcame. Not because she had some, you know, uh, particular thing about her, but she overcame through surrender to Christ, through receiving salvation from Jesus. And today, having the best day of her life, tomorrow will be better. And uh, she's a wonderful lady. She was kind of one of those ladies in the community. If you, if you ever grew up in a small community, it's kind of, uh, maybe it's a little hard to describe if you grew up in a big city environment, but in a small community, kind of everybody's your mom. So like you know, kind of uh, as a kid growing up, that you can't get away with something here because, uh, just because your parents aren't there. And um, Paula was truly one of those communities. My mom's giving me the scowly look. And, um, but Paula was one of those types of ladies. She was kind of everybody's mom, and, um, and she loved the Lord. And she was just immersed herself in his word uh, every day. And uh, I had the pleasure, the honor, really, of reading her husband's comments at the memorial yesterday. A man who had stood faithfully with her through years of cancer struggle and uh, various tribulations, uh, you know, as life throws our way. And he stood by her faithfully, took care of her right to the end for 53 plus years. It was a remarkable thing and uh, very honored to do that. And the words to this last worship song, particularly impactful for me uh, as we open up our word, our own word here. Uh, and today's going to look maybe a little bit different, and that's on purpose. In fact, uh, my, my uh, fumbled encouragement going into uh, announcements, I felt like I was like wrapped in, you know, this octopus tentacles of wires that were hanging off of me. But that being said, that being said, let's get back to where we were. That was not um, just off the cuff, having you guys try to connect with different ones and figure out some. That was a suggestion that was given to Tammy and I. Uh, here recently to try to get more of us because we have this just we have had over the last I don't know how many years just this influx of people coming uh, like we're trying to keep track what's her name what's his name and so to try to not just connect you to leadership but to try to help connect you together as a body uh, if you're new here uh, and and if you were a little put off by that maybe that's not your thing talking to people I guess I'm going to apologize now, but I don't apologize from the standpoint that we want to know. We, like, we want to know, uh, and, and it's good for you to know, and it's good for us to connect together. Like, what is real in your, in your life? What do you need? What's a couple of things that you need that I can pray for you? And remind me of your name, and uh, those will help build connections over the long run, and it'll help people connect across, you know, because sometimes by the end of the service, you know, sometimes if you're sitting over here and you've got something going on, you're not going to connect with somebody way over there. You're going to have a tendency to head out. And uh, we want to help people get connected together. Not only that, 
it's a good exercise and a good discipline as we look at today's subject. Today's subject is the message of prayer. Uh, we often think of we often think of the church as uh, <coughs> I'm pausing for a second to make sure I printed the right sermon notes. This could get very interesting. Um, I'll just jump in here. Um, I don't know what I have on my notes, to be honest with you. I might just have to close my notes and just look at the Bible here. Uh, it's going to look a little differently. There we go. Last week, we looked at 1 Timothy. Thank you for your patience. Um, we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 1. and We looked at these variety of areas where Paul is encouraging young Timothy uh, to exercise faith, or he talks about him categorically, or himself categorically, but he, uh, he talks about Tim, Timothy categorically uh, from a standpoint of we're um, a true son in the faith, that's what he calls him. He calls him a true son in the faith, so it's kind of a categorical statement. And then he talks later in chapter 1 about himself as God has counted him faithful in ministry, a person that was really, uh, in the beginning, when Christianity first started, Paul was, um, was advocating and fighting against Christianity. Then God converted him to Christianity, and then he became one of the apostles. And so he, he kind of categorizes himself as the way God would see him as faithful. Um, but we looked at these, these six faith attitudes, um, and, 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 and we laid out before we got into those six faith attitudes last week, these kind of overarching themes that it's not just for 1 Timothy, but it's really for 1 Timothy, for 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus. And these overarching themes uh, keep creeping up and popping up in these verses, or in these uh, different epistles. And these overarching themes are these three, persevere. Uh, Paul keeps encouraging these fellows to persevere in the faith, persevere in ministry, to continue on, to endure, is maybe a better word, to continue uh, doing what God has called you to do. All these encouragements are connected to Paul's encouragement there that we saw in 1 Timothy 1, where he says to, tells Timothy, just remain. Stay in Ephesus. Remain there and do what God has called you to do. Do what, do what I need you to do, but more importantly, do what God has called you to do, right, in, in correcting some things in the church in Ephesus. The church at Ephesus has kind of gotten sideways in some areas since Paul was there first, and we looked at that in Acts 18 a little bit to tee up last week, there was these six faith, I call them faith attitudes. Uh, one, Paul says, hey, we're in it together. It was this attitude that we're in this thing together, Timothy. The second one in verse 4 is that <clears throat> true Bible teaching always has a faith component. And Paul was kind of right from the get-go in, in chapter 1, kind of confronting this false doctrine, these false teachers that had cropped up there in Ephesus. And, and they were getting people sideways, thinking, let's talk about genealogy, let's talk about myths, fables, that sort of thing. And uh, there's no faith component in false teaching. Uh, they try to, in, in many circles, try to explain away everything, try to rational, uh, rationalize or... or, or uh, they have an answer for everything. And, and so there's no need to walk by faith then because you can kind of just see it all laid out there. No, we're called to walk by faith, the word says. Uh, this next attitude, faith must be sincere. It's got to be true and honest. Um, the, the next one is, is that 
this type of faith attitude. It's all of Jesus for all of life. That's kind of my summary of Paul looking at his own life and what God had done in his life and how God had changed him, now counts him faithful. And a lot of that was because Paul come to the realization on the road to Damascus that, that wow, Jesus is real, right? And, and I am not, and I suppose if you were blinded out here on 395 by a super bright light, and God was speaking to you, you would have a different perspective. <laughs> like you would stop everything that you thought, everything that you believed was true, because your life was that affected, uh, for sure, would kind of change your perspective. And Paul's perspective, in my summary of that perspective, is, is that, that all of Jesus for all of life really became his, uh, his way of thinking, his way of life. Uh, that got him to that spot where he believes that God counts him faithful, not in his own efforts and works, but because he was following what God had asked him to do, and he's doing that wholeheartedly and, in, and, and walking in faith, not knowing what tomorrow will bring. This <clears throat> the uh, fifth one is, is despite the, this faith attitude, despite the past, Jesus' grace and faith and love are exceedingly abundant today. Verse 14 of chapter 1. Despite the past, despite, Jesus, is, uh, despite the past, Jesus' grace his faith and his love are exceedingly abundant today. Uh, the last one is, is that people are looking for leaders whose lives are mar marked by faith and conviction. I get that from verse 18 of chapter 1. People are looking for truth. I will say right up front, like if you're relatively new here, um, and, and I've talked to a lot of the new people, like they're looking for something that's true. Uh, people are flocking to churches that are preaching just right out of the Bible and if they do nothing else, they just read the Bible and make a couple of comments and, and worship and pray. Because it's tr there's something there that's inherently true. It's objectively true. And people are tired of getting, getting fed this, you know, uh, skewed perspective from every other angle. They want truth. You want truth. I want truth. We're in this thing together and people are looking for that. Uh, they're attracted to that right now in this season. And so we're called to uh, exercise faith every part of our lives. And so we do that as we persevere. We do that as we keep trusting. We keep trusting. We keep trusting. That's the walk of faith is that you keep trusting that God is going to fulfill his promises. That's what a walk of faith is. It's not that you can see that happening right now. But because God said it's true and because, because God is truth... We just believe that and we just keep moving forward. We keep moving forward. We keep trusting. We keep trusting. Keep trusting that God is at work in each situation. Really, that's when we need to walk in faith probably the most is when we're faced with a situation that we don't know what the answer is. And not only do we walk in faith, but we're called to pray. We're called to be in constant prayer, constant communication, with our Heavenly Father. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 gives us a glimpse of the trouble that Paul faced in Asia. Notice the role that partnering in prayer had in, this, uh, in the greater conflict there that he was embraced in. I want to start and kind of tee up 2 Timothy by looking at just a few verses in 2 Corinthians. Paul tells the Corinthians church there in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8, he says this, he says, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which has come to us in Asia, that we were 
uh, <clears throat> burden beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. That's a tough situation, right? When, when, you, when you are so loaded down, when you are so loaded down with trials uh, that we despaired even of life, yes, he says in verse 9, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. That's a good perspective. Despite what's going on, despite how bad it is, despite all of the circumstances that are around us, he says, he, he, he says that great line, we, we have the sentence of death, we're marked for death. Yesterday in the, in the service, Don Bo, the guy that create, started this church, made this observation. He says, isn't it interesting that now today Paul is in the land of the living and we sit here in the land of the dying. She's not going to experience death anymore. No, not because she received salvation from the Lord. So she's in the land of the living. And Paul has that kind of mentality here uh, that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who did what? Who raises the dead. Who raises... When, when we believe that is true... When we live a life that reflects that that is true, let me tell you what we are. We're invincible. And I don't say that in some kind of a Ted talky kind of a way, some kind of a just build you up because somehow you're innately awesome or I'm awesome or, or we have some you know, power in and of ourselves. Not at all. God raises the dead. And if you're in Christ, you're going to live forever in some capacity. And it won't be in this tent. This is temporary. This flesh thing here is going down, right? Like, mine's all beat up. If you're close enough, you could just... Like, my hands are trashed from mechanicing all those years. It gets beat up. It gets tore apart. You know, some of us are missing digits. Not me. <laughs> it's a little tricky. You didn't see that. It's temporary. Paul says it doesn't matter what's going to happen here to the Corinthian church. God's going to raise us from the dead. So God who raises the dead, verse 10, 2 Corinthians, verse 10, who delivered us up from such so great a death and does deliver us, so you have kind of different capacities there, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. And here's the verse that we're going to hone in on, verse 11. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on behalf, <coughs> on, be, on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. And Paul is so appreciative of the prayer that the Corinthians church was, was, was holding him up in prayer in his hour of need. And that's, that's kind of the mentality we want to kind of have going into this, is that as Christ followers, it's not just an obligation. We have an opportunity. Prayer's not an obligation. Prayer's an opportunity to seek the Lord, to hear from the Lord, to lift up our burdens to the Lord, to, to uh, intercede on other people's behalf. I'm getting ahead of myself in my notes. But let's jump into 2 Timothy. It's all about prayer. Start right off there. First, uh, Tim, first Timothy, sorry. First Timothy, chapter 2. Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. 
for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good, <clears throat> this is good and, accept, and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Verse 8 says, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair, gold or pearls, or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Lest a woman <coughs> learn, let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. And for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. I want to take a little different approach this morning. Uh, I was kind of a kid that um, when I'd sit down and uh, when, we, we'd, when we'd pull a few ribeyes out of the, out of the freezer for dinner... And we would have a, a wonderful, you know, st uh, ribeye steaks, mashed potatoes, gravy, and uh, whatever vegetable. I was the type of kid that uh, <coughs> would basically sit there and eat my vegetables first because I wanted to get them out of the way. It was kind of like, you, you guys want the good news or the bad news scenario? I chose the bad news first every single time because I figured whatever the bad news is, uh, it's not going to be, it's going to be nothing compared to how good the good news is. So whatever vegetables those were, other than beets, who's with me? Who does not like beets? Thank you, Carrie. That hand went up straight in the air. Beets are essentially the liver of the vegetable community. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. Yes, they are. My palate stops at ribeye. <laughs> I have not acquired a taste for beets. And uh, the moment that Tammy and I left and cleft, and God says, you're the leader of this household, it's like, yes! I don't have to eat beets if I don't want to. I want to look at this passage. <laughs> I'm getting way off track. I want to look at this passage a little bit differently because of where I believe the Lord wants us to end. I'm not rewriting it in any way or changing it, but I want to look at the ending and then go back to the beginning. The reason why is 1 Timothy is, is a, a really all of these three epistles, but 1 Timothy is talking about it. It's a encouraging a warning and a corrective letter where the Holy Spirit has inspired Paul to build up Timothy to deal with various issues there in the church of Corinth as he does with Titus in the epistle to Titus. Uh, he's dealing with issues 
in the church at Crete. Now, when I say the church, let's just make sure we have this right in our mind. Uh, Timothy was not one, the pastor of one church in Ephesus, right? He was, it, it wasn't that. Not that he didn't, wasn't engaged in a church, but more likely, Timothy was over kind of, he was like a, the, uh, uh, an emissary of the apostles over a whole bunch of churches in a region. And so he was working kind of in and amongst these brand new churches with these brand new believers who were struggling in some of these areas uh, and now false teachers, as we looked about in last week in Acts 18, really gives you the backdrop of Paul's concern for the church in Ephesus, where false teachers had kind of cropped up and and, and the church was kind of fading away. It was kind of in this, it was kind of in this zone. It was kind of fading away from, from truth, as it were. And, uh, and there was other things being incorporated into the life of the church, such as things that, that false teachers would bring in. And, and the church was kind of struggling in that way. So Paul writes these epistles, not just for the benefit of, of encouraging Timothy and Titus, but also for the idea, hey, here's some very specific things that you need to correct. And so I'd like to uh, start actually in verse 8, because where we want to end today is actually with prayer. And I'll just give you the heads up of how it's going to look. Towards the end of the message, all three of the other elders are going to come up and pray for the three different categorical areas that Paul talks about in the first seven verses. And so we're going to invite Les and Tim and David to come up, and, and they're going to pray. We're going to pray together. I know that there's prayer needs in this, uh, in this room, uh, people that are struggling with their health, people that, uh, uh, that there's more questions than answers, perhaps, about their health and different areas of life, and so we want to uh, definitely spend some time to, to lift those needs up. We definitely have needs of, of prayer in the area of our missionaries. Uh, we have missionaries in some extremely dang- pla- dangerous places in the world right now, so we need to be holding them up in prayer. Uh, we have missionaries that have a lot of needs, whether it's financial or uh, what have you. Um, so we need to definitely hold up our missionaries in prayer. But um, these verses, verses 8 through 15, really have a direct link to the influence of the false teachers that were there in Ephesus. And that influence is really for men and for women. Uh, there's been a lot of look at these passages and, and uh, our culture takes a look at these passages out of context, out of historical context, and says this is what's wrong with Christianity. Don't go there. This is why Christianity is, you know, is, is an oppressive system of belief. So don't go there. That's the encouragement you would find in, in, the, in our culture. You can get online, you can Google it, it goes on millions of hits in that direction. Let's deal with these issues first, then let's focus on prayer. So point number one, uh, prayer can really be sidelined by kind of this idea of disorderly conduct in the church. Prayer can be sidelined when we have our focus in the wrong area. And that's for, that's for all of us. That's for the, the guys. This is not a, a condemnation of ladies. Paul deals with guys and ladies in this situation. But when we let culture and the culture's ideals that are not biblical, when we let those things creep into the life of a church and guide the church in either form or function, whatever, when we let those things, it's the, 
a church is going to start to slide sideways away from the truth of God's word. Paul brings out a few contrasts here uh, to help correct these behavioral issues in the church of Ephesus. First, he picks on the guys. Look there at verse, <coughs> look there at verse 8. 1 Timothy 2, verse 8. Remember that, oh, I'm, it'd help if I was in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, verse 8. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So Paul's talking about prayer. He's talking about prayer in the context of the fellowship. And he wants men to lift up holy hands in prayer without what? What's the two words that describe there? Without wrath and without doubting. Why is that such a big deal? Why is that such a big deal culturally, even for us? I'll tell you why. It's because when we get fired up, fellas, when we get fired up about something, we raise our hands like, what's going on? You, know, you see it. You watch basketball games. The guys are fired up about a bad, or, you know, you missed a call. You should have seen me on the couch yesterday. I was a little fired up at Especially in the first half, the Gonzaga game, right? They were getting pushed around, shoved around. Next thing you know, my hands are going up. I'm like, come on, ref, come on. That's anger. That's lifting my hands in anger. That's not what God's called us to. Definitely not in the area of prayer. So we have a tendency, guys. He calls out the men. Hey, be careful with your anger and be careful how it's expressed. And you need to trade in that lifting hands in anger, you know, clench fist, whatever it is. We need, we, we need to trade that in for lifting holy hands in prayer. That's one area. The second area is doubting. We lift our hands in doubt, too. That's doubt. I, 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 I don't know. You tell me. I have no idea. And kind of being apathetical about it. So we lift our hands in, in our flesh. We can lift our hands in anger. And we can lift our hands in, I don't know, in doubt. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. What's going to happen with this weather, Ed? Who knows? What's going to happen with the price of fuel? I don't know. We, we have these conversations all the time. And if you're expressive, if you're not expressive, you're probably not doing that so much. If you want people that are more expressive, take a little trip to New York City and you'll have people that talk with their hands all the time and they're doing this kind of thing and their hands are going up and down and you know, you think that they're directing traffic. But we lift our hands in anger naturally and we lift our hands when we doubt in uncertainty, in unknowing. And God says, hey, trade those in. The Holy Spirit through Paul is saying, hey, trade those in Trade those in and stay focused on what the church is supposed to do. Because doubt can take a church in the wrong direction. Anger can take a church in the wrong direction. Trade those in for holy hands in prayer, which then this becomes a reliance upon the Father. Father, Father, help us in this time. Help us with this situation. We're going to trade those things in, fellas. Great, amen. God wants our hands to be raised as a gesture of worship and dependence on Him to win the battle. The best biblical reference to that is in Exodus 17. It tells the account of the 
Israel's fighting against the Amalekites. The Amalekites were the, were the uh, sworn enemies of Israel. Uh, my personal take on that is they were the first ones to attack Israel in the desert. And uh, they shamelessly attacked Israel from behind, essentially coming at all the women, the children, and the elderly. Uh, my take on Exodus, uh, on that aspect out of the book of Exodus, is uh, I think that God was particularly p- uh, ticked about that idea. Yeah, I'm careful with my words. I watched Drew Timmy's post-game conference too. Okay. I think that God was upset about it. And so when they did face them head on in Exodus 17, the battle was going back and forth. And every time what? Moses' hands, God said, lift up your hands, right? And when those hands started to come down, the Amalekites started to win. And there was the push one way. And when Moses raised his hands up, and the push went the other way. And so what happens if you know the story out of Exodus 17? Aaron and Hur came alongside of Moses, propped up his arms, sunset the word says to win the battle it's a picture of how to fight the battles the right way and we are way better off fighting the battles that we face as families as marriages or even as a church with our hands up here relying upon the Lord than in anger unrighteous anger or uncertainty and doubt that's kind of the picture for the guys God wants their hands raised as a gesture of worship and dependence on him in the battle. Men, stay focused on this. Stay focused in prayer. Don't be tempted towards these sins, these various sins of anger and doubting. Second, Paul points out where the ladies need to be corrected. You see that connection, and so to keep the continuity and the flow and, and the context, he says in like manner, he's still talking about prayer. So he still so the, the temptation for ladies there in Ephesus was to look to the outward appearance. The better dress, the newest fashion of, or leadership possession that they could attain was this sign of quote unquote spiritual maturity. It was literally a who's who fashion show in the church. That's why Paul's kind of describing it there. It's a reflection really more of this. It's a reflection more of the Greek culture. The Greek culture was really uh, cranked up about these, these things. And, and so you had this discrepancy. You had what was kind of ended up being in, in the church there, this upper and lower class of people, those that could afford all of the luxuries and all the jewelry and all of the fine, you know, dress and all that goes with that, and those that couldn't. And so <coughs> created tension and created problems. And it took the focus, much like anger, and doubting can take a church the wrong direction. This idea of who's who can take a church in the wrong direction too. So Paul contrasts that line of thought with these words that describe the heart of a godly woman. He talks about modest apparel, propriety, moderation, professing godliness with good works, relating rightly with her husband, a woman of faith, a woman of love, a woman of holiness, and a woman of self-control. 
the summary really there is that Paul brings these correction for men and women here in the church to get them back into focus and to get the church back into of Ephesus back into focus of where it's supposed to be. Not on all of these, you know, who's who or who's the most upset or what the current issue is that we have to, you know, somehow, you know, muster up a bunch of energy to come against. You know, not what lady is, uh, you know, you know, leading the charge in the church and all that goes with that. He, he brings it back. He brings it back to where it started. He uses the example, actually, of, of the issues in the garden where Eve was tempted first, then Adam, as kind of that, hey, it's a picture of being out of order. There's disorderly conduct here. Let's bring it back to created order. Why? So that the church will be praying effectively. So the church will be praying effectively. Now back to verse 1. I'll move quick. We won't be here all day. Here we go. Back to verse 1. Prayer is our top priority. Prayer is the top priority. That's what he says. Therefore I exhort first of all. These are Paul's words to Timothy. There I exhort first of all. This is a, this is a, this is a priority issue. And prayer is a priority issue for every church. A prayer is a priority issue for every believer, right? Timothy is reminded that prayer is the top shelf priority in the lives of the believers there in Asia. Prayer is not optional, it's essential. It's not optional, it's essential communication between God and his people. Uh, we want to help you become more intentional about prayer. If there's an area that's uh, it's been a struggle, and, and I get that, and I understand that. And I will say one of the top things that, that feedback-wise is, uh, is people will say something like this, oh, I need, I need to get my prayer life back in order. Uh, okay, yeah, I get that. I've had times where I've struggled with it too. And sometimes it's a matter of just kind of overthinking it, I believe. Like prayer is pretty basic. It's just communication with God. And if you're a Christ follower, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, you know, straight out. So, so prayer then becomes this more of a conversational type of uh, a scenario with God. It's not something you just do in the morning, just do in the evening, just do when you're in a jam, right? It's not something that you just do before you have dinner, breakfast, lunch, whatever. It's, it's a conversation that you have with God, and you can have it all the time. The Holy Spirit's inside of us working in that capacity. Some of the feedback of struggle that people have had sounds like this. I, I'm not good with words. Or I really uh, get nervous to pray out loud. Those are, these are real kind of like struggles and anxieties that people have. I understand that. Uh, I want to encourage you with this, that Moses stuttered yet led millions out of Egypt. You're going to be okay. Right? He, 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 he stuttered. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that as an example, not to make fun of people that stuttered. Right? He had a speech impediment. And God says, I'm going to use you in your weakness to lead my people. And Moses' mind is, I, I can't even talk. How is this ever going to happen? How's, how's this even possible? People will be distracted by me. Yet God used him. Don't get hung up in these two areas that you think you're not good with words or that you're nervous. I understand that. 
I get nervous. <laughs> you wouldn't think so, maybe, but it's true. The reality is, is that it's just simply you communicating with your Heavenly Father. It's you talking to Him and Him talking to you, okay? So you're in good company if you struggle with those things, if you get distracted or feel like you talk in circles. Um, you know, <laughs> that's the other category. First two, I'm not good with words, I get nervous. All right, there's Moses as a great example. The second example is Peter. Um, I'm sure Peter got distracted, and I'm sure at times in his exuberance, Peter talked in circles. He was kind of all over the map. Uh, prayer's not a matter of performance. Prayer's not graded on a curve. It's not a, it's not a win or lose. It's not an A or an F. It's not any of that. It's simple communication with the Lord. It is this, a few verses uh, to put in there. Prayer does this, it's a habit. Prayer's a habit. If you look at Luke 5, we're not gonna go there for the sake of time, but footnote Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, where you see Jesus withdrawing into the wilderness to pray. That was Jesus' habit. He did it time and time again. He would draw away to a secluded, pl a, a, a secluded place. He would get away by himself and just spend time with the Father. That was his habit. So prayer, prayer really needs to be viewed as a habit. There's not a single habit that we can uh, go to work on that doesn't take effort and diligence. Bad habits take no practice. We all know that that's true. A bad habit doesn't, I mean, if you, if you fall into a bad habit, uh, you know, and you don't put the brakes on, what's going to happen? You just keep falling. Whatever it is. I, I, don't, you, I mean, you choose whatever one you want to think about. Uh, for some people, taking a drink, you know, taking a, uh, you know, having a little, ah, it's no big deal, it's just one beer. The next thing you know, you know, a year later, they're buying a 30-pack twice a week. So bad habits don't take any effort. Good habits, I'll say biblical habits, take diligence and they take effort and they take devotion. And prayer is one of those. Prayer needs to be a habit that you form in your spiritual discipline a lot on patterned after Jesus there in Luke chapter 5. The other thing, prayer, is it's devotion. It's a devotion. Colossians 2, uh, 4, 2 says, Continue earnestly in prayer. Be vigilant with all thanksgiving. You have to be d devoted. That idea of being earnest is, a, is, is I'm going to be, it's a habit, and I'm going to be devoted to that habit. And, and whatever it takes, and sometimes you need a nudge. Sometimes I need a nudge. As a family, we started working out. I don't like to work out every three times a week. And so when Morgan comes and says, Dad, we got to go, it's like, ah, you guys just go without me. No, she's right. I need to get out of bed and go, right? I need to do it. I need to be devoted to it. I need to be, I need to be earnest about it. That's the way prayer is, the same way. We need to be devoted to prayer. And the third <coughs> kind of look at prayer is, from Romans chapter 12, verse 12, it's a faithful pursuit. Rejoicing in hope, Romans 12, 12 says, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. It's a faithful pursuit. If you're steadfast with something, you're going to stay faithful to it, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of even the outcome. You're going to stay steadfast. You're going to stay devoted to it. You're going you're to be locked on in a good way. And prayer needs to be kind of viewed and seen and, and experienced in that capacity. 
It's a faithful pursuit. You're not going to get every answer every time. But God has an answer. Prayer is simply communicating with our Heavenly Father in order to hear from Him and be aligned with His will. Three, prayer has several forms. Prayer has several forms. Right there in verse 1, <coughs> excuse me, he says, Therefore I ex- exalt, first of all, that all supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and, thanks- and thanks- giving thanks be made. A supplication is simply asking for something. Prayer should never be uh, all asking, but, it should a- but we should ask with some bold confidence from God's word. Uh, the type of prayers here that are listed, and I didn't put all of, I'll put the references out, but Mark 11, 22 through 25 are the mountain moving prayers where Jesus said, hey, uh, you know, mountains can be moved. James chapter 5, 13 through 18, healing and the, effective, uh, the effectiveness of righteous prayers. James talks about that. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, God hears our prayers. So the idea that, that we're communicating with the Lord, we're putting these supplications out there, we're asking for stuff. Uh, a lot of times, the enemy likes to come in and kind of trip us up and say, what, you know, you're awful greedy. You're awful greedy in your prayers. You know, so then we don't say anything. Ignore that. Don't be bashful with the Lord. Be thankful, be humble, but don't avoid asking of the things that are on your heart. The second category that Paul talked about here is general prayers. He just lists, lists them out as prayers. It's a broad word referring to all communication with the Lord. So it's kind of a can crossover. It can be a supplication or an intercession or a praise or whatever. Um, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 it says we should pray about everything. Everything. Matthew 6, 6 through 8, pray in private. That's kind of a whole passage there in Matthew chapter 6 where get away, Right? Like, your prayer shouldn't be out here just so everybody can see you pray. That's the context of those verses. You know, so the focus is all on you. If that's your struggle, then don't do it. Get away in private. Find a closet. Find a back room. Whatever the case is. Matthew 18, 19 through 20, talks about praying with others, that we should engage in praying with others. Uh, Should I say this also, uh, that we should do that in the moment right? We should do that in the moment. If one of you comes up and says, hey, you know, would you pray about this? Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll pray about it. Yeah, thanks. You know, how often does that really happen? How often does that really happen? That's why I really want you guys to, I want to have enough pens here that you guys could write down your, uh, your name and two ideas to pray for one another when you guys connected earlier, you know, during the announcement time. That, um, you would write that down because writing it down is a better reminder than just saying, oh yeah, hey, I'll be praying for you. Because a lot of times we don't follow up with that. It becomes cliche. It becomes just something that we're hoping is encouraging at the second, but there's no follow through. We need to have the follow through to pray with and uh, in the moment with one another. The third category there is intercessions. He talks about this idea of intercessions. In, in, in intercessory prayers, a reference to the uh, request that we make on behalf of others. We're interceding on somebody else's behalf. As we pray, there should be time when the needs of others finds a place in our prayers before the throne. 
Uh, it's a good opportunity to stretch our legs and build relationships with one another as we, uh, as we engage in that sense, right? As we, as we think about, man, you know, uh, trying to think where he's at. He's here somewhere. You know, Ethan just banged up his knee in a hockey. Where's Ethan at? There he is. How you doing, buddy? Good. Is your knee good? It's not good. You need prayer, don't you? There we go. Let's pray for Ethan. Father, we hold up Ethan to you. <laughs> right here is a demonstration, not uh, about me or whatever, but um, just pray that you just touch Ethan's knee. Pray you give the doctors and, and the nurses, the people that are going to be looking at it, Father, uh, supernatural wisdom. And uh, that things will be put back right and be healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, on the fly, and he's fine with me talking about it, aren't you? Ethan banged up his knee in his last hockey game, and uh, he came in on crutches this morning. Made me think, man, we should be praying for that kid. Those types of opportunities in the moment is what we need to jump at. The fourth category is giving thanks. Is giving thanks is an essential part of our walk with God. Those who lack a, a basic sense of gratitude in their lives, um, it's going to be a struggle. We need to be grateful. It's a Christian virtue. A praise to God is expressed in a wide variety of ways. You can do it in song. You can do it in worship. You can do it in poetry, in art. In, there's a wide, wide, this is the, the real wide angle. Giving thanks is, a, is the, a super wide angle opportunity for us to connect and to, to talk to God. Uh, music does something inherently different, uh, I believe, than just speaking. Uh, music has a way of connecting with, I believe, with God when we're focused on Him and it's not about, you know, something off on the side. It's different. There's a different connection. That's why I'm really kind of drawn to it all the time. That's why I love being a part of a worship team or I love listening to worship music or, you know, Christian music in some way because music has a way of connecting us a little bit differently with God. I don't know if I can really put my really put my finger on it other than to say sometimes, I believe, I guess I'll say this, I believe it's kind of the language of the heart uh, when you put uh, communication with God to music in that way. It's different. You see it all through the pages of the scripture. Um, the first thing that the Hebrews did as they exited out of Egypt and into the desert is they, that was the very first opportunity to see where there's worship with music in that sense. And so it's a great read. We won't go there too far. But we need to give thanks. We need to give thanks. The next thing that Paul talks about here is all men. Prayer has several topics, and the first one that uh, he talks about is we need to pray for all men. This is, uh, tells us whom we're to pray for. Uh, for those of various means of prayer, the idea is that all men need prayer. Everybody needs prayer. We live in a world right now that that needs prayer. I will say this, though. <clears throat> there, we have to be really careful with our motivations when it comes to, uh, and even 2 Corinthians, Paul's, that we led with, Paul's talking about thanking them for joining him and praying for him, and more people are praying for him. And those are a good thing. And we should spread the word on prayer. So I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. Here's why I say the motivation's critical. 
Because sometimes the motivation of our hearts can be if we're not careful. They can be. If we can get enough people to pray, it's, it's kind of that motivation. If we can get enough people to pray, we can kind of gang up on God and change his mind. That's the, we have to be very careful that that's not our motivation. That, that we, we get into that. And there's a lot of things that I've seen over the years. And frankly, there's a lot of stuff uh, out there, social media and whatnot, that tend to lean into that. Right? That, that, if, that you know, if we can get 100,000 people praying for this situation, or if we can get 5 million people praying, you know, that, that some, somehow, you know, that's going to change the course of something based upon the numbers and the majority. That's not, I, I, I'm not convinced that that uh, motivation is, is really what God's looking for. Now, contrast that with five million people praying that God's will be done in whatever situation. That God would work supernaturally in a situation. That God would intercede into a situation. And there's five million people praying in that sense with a true and holy and a a biblical motivation that God, your will be done. And we're willing to take that whatever it is We're willing to receive that. We're willing to walk that out. Whatever the answer may be, whatever, Father, that you have for us, we're willing to to go with that, knowing that that's right and true. That's a different motivator than thinking that if we're the more people that we can kind of gang up on God and twist his arm and, you know, he'll cry uncle and uh, we can have our way as a group. We need to be praying for all men. We need to be praying for kings and all in authority. Um, <clears throat> probably never before in my lifetime has this been a, a necessity. Has this been something that is, uh, is kind of a critical hour uh, topic, not only for our leadership in our own area, in our own country, but uh, praying for leadership around the world. Uh, there's a uh, <clears throat> historical component I want to encourage us with um, early Christians were often accused of undermining the state because they claimed a higher Lord other than Caesar. In the first century, Christians, from a Roman perspective, Christians were, were viewed as being unpatriotic because they put Jesus above Caesar. And the way the, 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 the antidote to that The way that they answered it is, I'll go on to read the statement, yet they would point out that they supported the state by being good citizens and praying for the emperor, uh, but not praying to him. They would pray for the emperor, and they would say that, hey, hey, you you might think we're unpatriotic because we're putting Jesus above Caesar, but know this, we're praying for Caesar. We're just not going to bow down before him. And they made that distinction. That was their response. They, they knew that at times, that, uh, and especially the further it went with persecution, especially when Nero went sideways and those that followed after him and leadership there in Rome, they knew that uh, once things got really crazy, they were, generally speaking, outlaws. They knew those risks, and they kept walking forward in faith. They kept walking forward in obedience to Christ. They kept walking forward uh, despite what was happening to their brothers and sisters 
who are quickly becoming martyrs. That being said, we need to pray for all those who are in authority, those who govern over us, and praying that they will <coughs> govern biblically, that they will govern according to the basic principles and, and, and the things that God has laid out in his word. And uh, <coughs> I think for us, that looks like a return, kind of maybe to that mentality, however you want to look at it. But I think we need to be praying. It's not a matter of what I think. The word says we need to be praying for that. The last category is we need to be praying for um, all men to be saved. Paul says this here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, where God desires all men to be saved. And prayer for those in authority I should always have a, a sense of it, and the two are kind of connected in a sense, but a prayer for all authority should have kind of this uh, evangelical purpose in a sense, and a peaceful purpose in a sense where he says, pray for kings and authority, that we can live a peaceable life, right? We can live in peace. The real goal here is that they would come under the authority of Christ, the people that are lost, the people that don't, trust, don't know Christ, haven't received salvation, haven't trusted in who Jesus is, who Jesus says he is. Uh, we need to be praying for them. We need to be uh, constantly looking for avenues where we can... Uh, thread into people's lives in that sense. As we talk about this passage, I've asked, and we've talked about this earlier in the week, I've asked if the three other elders would come up, and we're just actually going to go right back through this list of three things. And Les, if you would come on up, Les is going to pray for us in the category, not pray for us, but he's going to pray with us. Uh, he's going to pray for the category of all men. If you guys would turn on this microphone. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. It's one thing, as before Les takes over here for a second, uh, I thought it was, I've, I, I kind of had this thought this week as I was preparing this sermon, that we can look at the word, we can study the word, we can get a lot out of the word, but as a group, let's just do the word. So I asked the other elders, I said, hey, would you guys join me at the end of the service? Let's just do what Paul is encouraging Timothy to spread all over uh, that part of the, 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 the world in the first century, let's just do what the word says and just take off from there. So, Les, go ahead. As Mark said, the, 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 chapter two started out with first of all, that, um, <coughs> that I would be in prayer for persons 